0: Welcome, everybody, and whoever's watching out there also on the stream. Welcome to looking at the book of Daniel again. I'm excited about that. Uh, Every time I study through the week, uh, I just wish that I could pass along everything that I cross over in the study side. Mark, you're probably familiar with that. I mean, there's so much you see and so many things that are so encouraging about what you find out about in, in, in this study and in, in Daniel, what I find out about all these things, it's like, man, I wish everybody could see this, but maybe I'll, I can just pass along just in my heart and just the excitement I have for Daniel that you can see there's a lot more behind this than just what I can pass along in 50 minutes or so. One of the main lines of the encouragement to me has been the historicity of Daniel. As you go and research back into the whole Book and the context and the history of what's going on in Daniel. There's just so much historical record that supports everything that's going on in Daniel. The kings, the the other kingdoms that are involved, and there's just so much there that is just it's just awesome to look back and see them. I mean, and then there are so many other false religions and cults out there that supposedly have a history that just don't even track with reality, whereas God's word tracks with reality. It's it's supported by, not that we need it necessarily. It doesn't, uh, we're not taking our authority off what everybody else says, but it does track with reality, which truth does. So, anyway, God knows the end from the beginning, and puny man these days is proving his arrogance and rejection of the true God and of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The, this book is about God's sovereignty over the nations. Jew and Gentile, and we we see that again tonight as we look at chapter 5. But the scenario of what's going on in the world matches perfectly with what the Bible talks about in terms of eschatology of end times, end of the age theology. So, So awesome. That's why I'm excited to look at it. Not going to spend too much time on these opening slides again. I think you're probably getting it in your mind what we're doing here. But again, God's sovereign over the nations, Jew and Gentile, right down to this very day. Timeline there again is where we're at. And again, this is where uh, Daniel and his friends ended up 900 miles from Jerusalem. And so here's just the the short outline I had put together for. Uh, The chapter. So we'll look at the rebellious feast that happens in the first four verses, judgment written by the hand. So that's a a scary part of what's going on there for them is this hand that appears, verses 5 through 12. Uh, They seek out Daniel 13 to 23, his interpretation in 24 to 28, and then the judgment from God executed in those last three verses. Or, yeah, three. All right, well, let's uh, start by just reading verse 1. Belshazzar the king held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles, and he was drinking wine in the presence of the thousand. When Belshazzar tasted the wine, and in context and in study there, it's really... He tasted a lot of wine. He was drunk (laughs) by that time. He he had tasted it all right. I think he was tasting the effects. He gave orders to bring the gold and silver vessels which Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Uh, It looks like Nebuchadnezzar in his humbling, had possibly stored these away. He, he didn't have them out for common use for his kingdom to be using. They were still stored until um, Belshazzar decided he should go get them. So verse 3, Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God which was in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. They drank the wine and praised the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So looking back on some of the things I'd seen was uh, apparently some some uh, denominations and churches had made quite a lot out of this drunken festival that they were having, the thousand. and We're not going to go try and describe all of what was going on there. Probably <laughs> maybe a little fleshly just to try and rehearse that. We don't want to do it, but it had to be a pretty, um, pretty fleshly, um, sensuous get-together with a thousand, uh, with wives, concubines, whatever else was going on there. Drunken, you can kind of imagine, uh, and they they felt like some of that was even religious—that they would go into some of the some of the things that they would do in this party. So, what a what a place to be in. They, it looked like. Uh, Belshazzar was probably up at the head table. Uh, and so here he is getting hammered up there and says, hey, let's go get, let's go get these golden vessels that uh, Nebuchadnezzar had brought or my father the king had brought. They're all stored away. They were the Hebrew gods, things in there. Let's get them. We don't care about that. And so to, to showing off his power and just... Uh, in this drunken festival, he decided to go get those things. We actually know uh, that on that day, we know that from historical records, what that very day was. Uh, it was October 12th, reckoned up to our calendar, 539 BC, about 23 years after the death of Nebuchadnezzar. So some time had passed from when he was king. And so here we are, 23 years later, and this is where it's gotten to. I have a slide here, um, and this is the the timeline of kings in Daniel one through seven. And so it shows uh, how we got to where we are. And so there's there's several in there that that came through the lineage that aren't listed in the book of Daniel. We only see what God deems necessary for us to know about the history of that. But we do know in history that there was a couple others in there. As you see on top there, chapters 1 to 4, as we've been looking through Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar was the king, and that was about 604 to 563. Have a couple more guys, Nero Golassar, and he was a, uh, the hitman, brother in law, took him out. And then we also have L- Labashi Marduk, he was in office about nine months and was murdered. Uh, and then Nabonidus we know was Belshazzar's father and that was he was married to a daughter of Nebuchadnezzar which got him in the lineage and which got what got uh, Belshazzar into the lineage of the kingship there so Nabonidus was actually the king and Belshazzar was his co-regent and that's why we get to this these uh, the text here that talks about third regent of the kingdom and again critics All through the ages, have tried to attack Daniel, say, Oh, yeah, see, there's another error. But it actually, when when history reveals itself, and there was actually uh, an archaeological find called the Nabonidus Cylinder, and it had these records on there that Nabonidus was the king, Belshazzar was his son, and co regent of uh, Babylon. And so, It follows right with what Daniel says, God's word, history, that uh, Nabonidus was king, Belshazzar was co-regent, and we'll see later in the text how that third regent in the kingdom comes around. But anyway, so that uh, King Nebuchadnezzar died in 562 after a couple of these failed kings. Um, And again, we know the date of it, 539 B.C., 23 years after. They all thought that they were safe. Uh here they were singing and dancing, having a big drunken one thousand member party here, and the Medes were actually right under the under the kingdom at that very moment. They actually had been outside Babylon proper, the city, walls, huge walled city, but uh Medes and Persians had actually taken over the rest of the kingdom outside the walls. Nabonidus was already outside, and they probably already had him captive in the south, but here they are because they feel like this city of theirs is impregnable, and they're just that arrogant to be drunk and having a thousand-member party when the enemy was right at the gate, banging and trying to get into the city, and they're like, no, nah, we have food, we have these walls, we have weapons. Not even worried. Let's just have a party. We got plenty of supplies the water uh, is a canal from the Euphrates River ran through it wasn't the whole river I was thought, whoa, that's a big river running right through the city but it was a canal that they had diverted off of the Euphrates to feed this big city and so that's what uh, well Darius or uh, I'll find his name here later but that's what they used to divert away and actually enter the city Here they were, uh, thinking that they were safe. If they would only have prepared, if they would only have been aware of what's going on, they could have survived it. They could have stayed safe if they... If they had known what was going on and they were waiting, there's it would actually be like a kill box as these soldiers came through. They were having to wade through the water in this diverted canal to get underneath there. They could have just been waiting for them with arrows and whatever else and just taking them out as they came through. But they weren't even aware. They just let it happen. Proverbs twenty nine one says... A man who hardens his neck after much reproof will suddenly be broken beyond remedy. And that's a principle, but that's a principle that applies to, to Belshazzar. He had plenty of warning. He had plenty of history to know about this God of Israel. Plenty of um, lesson to be humble and not think that he was God himself. But he, he was not. He was hardened. Had a lot of reproof, but here God is. He's suddenly broken and beyond remedy this time. And I just think about it and I think, does this sound familiar at all? I've, I feel like our country is similar in attitude to what's going on here. We, we have history. We look back and know what's going on. We know what's going on in the world around us, but yet we are arrogant. We've rejected God in our country. We've pushed him out of our, our official government education system. Don't want anything to do with him anymore in that regard. Feel like we're all good on our own, that we can handle it. And yet uh, we have plenty of enemies outside of our border ready and some probably already inside. We don't know how many. We know there's about 600,000 inside our borders that we don't even know what they're about. We have no idea whether they're they're practicing, whether they're planning, training. We don't even know. And we aren't even worried, apparently. We've done nothing to try and assure that uh, we could defend ourselves against this kind of thing. Well, let's see here. Is that the chapters? No. I think I got that a little bit out of order, but I wanted to kind of look at just how how the book of Daniel lays out here in terms of chapters. And we'll look at it closer later as we get further along. But uh, chapter 5 here, first four chapters are uh, Nebuchadnezzar as king. Then Then we have these Unlisted kings there. Then we have chapter five, where we are tonight. Uh, this is Belshazzar as as co-regent, second in command uh, under Nabonidus. And then as we move further on, uh, we start looking at visions that aren't really chronological in order. So just to to let you know, we're as we are in chapter five, we're still moving along kind of a historical narrative. Chapter 6 will continue along in those lines. And then from chapter 7 on, it goes back also to Hebrew. The language changes back from Aramaic to Hebrew. And then we have Daniel's visions as it applies to Israel. So that's, that's how it kind of breaks out. And we'll look at that uh, more later as we go along. But just to kind of show you that we're keeping along with history, we're tracking with actual records and historical records that show what's gone on back in history that way, that it matches up. This, this idea that we are safe on our own uh, is an attitude that's been carried out over time. Uh, and the Holy Spirit, through Paul, actually warns of this kind of mentality for the future, even in our future. And he says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 3, Paul says, uh, the Holy Spirit says through Paul, Now is the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. That's, that's in our future yet. Not necessarily in our future, but it's in the future of the world. While they, that's the world, that's the unsaved, um, not listening to God world, while they are saying peace and safety, just like in Babylon, just like Nebuch- or just like Belshazzar was saying and all those people, uh, peace and safety, we're okay, we're safe. We're safe then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. That's just, that rings in my ears for these days, and I am 100% in on this idea, Mark, that you brought this morning, that we need to reach out to the people around us and tell them that judgment is coming and that they need to be saved. They need Christ. If you Wherever you are, if you are without Christ, if you are not sure in your own heart that you belong to him, you need to make sure today. You need to cry out to the Lord to save you, and he will. So we think nothing could happen like to us, and just like the Babylonians were thinking, uh, they were safe too, but it did happen. I think today we worship the gods of science, knowledge, wealth, um, military might, to comfort our anxiety over uh, having to face these things, the reality of these things in the world, it, I I understand, and I can under, I can understand why they would look out and want to be in denial about what's going on. I otherwise, you would just you might have a breakdown because there's just so much going on that you you have to either deny it, pretend it's not happening, or have a peace in your heart through Christ that he's going to take care of you through that no matter what, and he will. But the Babylonians back then couldn't have been more blasphemous as they went and raided the storehouse of God for his utensils, drug them out in this drunken feast and said, let's use these and drink out of these. And let's not only that, let's use these to praise the gods of wood and stone. Very, very blasphemous. And so at this point, God had had enough. And he sent the hand. So again, we just deal with images here, just try and get in our mind a little bit what might have actually happened. It's just a rendering. But still, it's a rendering of a reality. And it talks about a miracle from God that came along. And so we see in verse 5, it says, "...suddenly the fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the back of the hand that did the writing." Then the king's face grew pale and his thoughts alarmed him and his hip joints went slack. His knees began knocking together and the king called aloud to bring in the conjurers, the Chaldeans and the diviners. The king spoke and said to the wise men of Babylon, any man who can read this inscription and explain its interpretation to me shall be clothed with purple, have a necklace of gold around his neck and have authority as third ruler in the kingdom." And then all the king's wise men came in. They could not read the inscription or make known its interpretation to the king. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed. His face grew even paler and his nobles were perplexed. The queen entered the banquet hall because of the words of the king and his nobles. The queen spoke and said, O king, live forever. Don't let your thoughts alarm you or your face be pale. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is a spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of your father, illumination, insight, and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar your father, your father the king, appointed him chief of the magicians, conjurers, Chaldeans, and diviners. This was because of an extraordinary spirit, knowledge and insight, interpretation of dreams, explanation of enigmas, and solving of difficult problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Let Daniel now be summoned, and he will declare the interpretation. Oh, so another miracle to be desi- uh, denied by the higher critics. They uh, they looked back on Daniel, and so anything that was a miracle said, oh yep, that can't be right. can't be true, because here's another miracle that happened. But it was a miracle. God sent a bodiless hand into that celebration. He did it so that the, the lampstand could shine on the hand. And if you think back, I mean, they didn't have all the lighting systems and, and sound systems and everything that we have for large gatherings. Candlelight was what had, they had going on in this feast here. And so God made sure that he sent the hand to a good spot, a spot where everybody could see it, where the king could see it. And suddenly this hand appeared and starts writing on the wall. So he <laughs> he was afraid. It wasn't like, whoa, that's really cool. It's like he saw that and saw the writing, and he was immediately terrified. Again, God brought this to his heart. He he didn't see it as a good thing or an interesting thing or a cool thing. He was terrified. God graciously had come to Nebuchadnezzar twice in dreams, given him a chance to get it interpreted Um second time to repent. You know, Daniel interpreted the dream and told him about the, you know, the tree and that he was the tree crashing down. He, and Daniel says, "Please turn, turn away from your sin and God maybe God will relent." He had a year before God actually brought the judgment to consider and to repent, but not thou, not this time, not to not to Belshazzar. So one minute they had this loud drunken festival I mean you've been in the bars i've been there by the time the the night gets long. things get pretty loud as the alcohol's flowing. You know how it goes the The longer it goes, the louder it gets. the more uh inhibitions are gone. And so this is where they were at. They were at, they were at a, a place in here where it was probably just roaring in there. They were probably having a great time. And suddenly, here this hand is on the wall. And as soon as more and more start going, oh, oh, there they look. And pretty soon it was probably dead silent in that thousand-person gathering watching this hand write a message on the wall. Think about that. I mean, we're, we don't see miracles today. God in his sovereignty and in his plan has withheld those for a long time to where you would actually have a hand appear in this room by itself and start carving an image on the wall. You have to try and get it in your mind because this is what happened to them and it just killed the party. And obviously uh, it, it killed the joy for Belshazzar. And I, you know, I don't want to try and go into the describing exactly maybe what happened because his hip joints went slack and his knees were knocking, and it's possibly he could have wet himself. We don't know. It's possible. When everything goes slack there, it's a possibility. And uh, wouldn't that be embarrassing? But even at, if not, just the fact that he had lost his composure. He went all slack and pale. Well, this is supposed to be the king. He's supposed to be in charge of everyone. He's supposed to be the king, and here he is up there, pale as a ghost, knees knocking, scared to death. And he immediately cries out for somebody. He he needs someone. So the best he can do is to call out for his wise men. Uh, man, you just think. Uh, after a couple other times, and looking back in history, calling these guys, they never can come through. They've already failed a couple times and to come in and try and help the situation. Here it is, third time in a row, strike three. They come in. The, here it is. There's the writing. They can't do anything. They can't do a thing. So they're worthless. But thankfully, at least uh, the queen mother, who was probably either... Nebuchadnezzar's wife may have been too long past for that, but possibly, or uh, uh, Nabonidus' wife, one of those two, as the queen mother knew the history, (coughs) knew Daniel and said, hey, we need to call for this guy. It's uh, sad that Daniel was not even considered in the group anymore. It's probably that once... These kings had passed on. Nebuchadnezzar had died. Daniel was just pushed out to the side, even though he was the wisest man in the kingdom. Still, they were, they just pushed out their best resource for wisdom, and used their own. So, B- Belshazzar didn't even know Daniel. He hadn't probably maybe never talked to him. All right, so we'll we'll continue on here. At least, even though. Uh, the queen mother tried to make light of the situation in a way or said, hey, don't worry about it. Don't, don't be all upset. She didn't have a clue what was coming. And her, her advice wasn't based on knowledge. She was you know, probably just trying to settle everything down, get everybody calmed down because they were just freaking out about this hand that had just written this message over there. Well, they should have. But she's like, hey, oh, hey, hey, don't worry. But, but at least she had the wisdom to say, call Daniel. And that was the best thing she did of the, whole, of the whole thing. So they call in Daniel. So in verse 13 says, Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel who's one of the exiles from Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? Now I have heard about you that a spirit of the gods is in you, and that illumination, insight, and extraordinary wisdom have been found in you. Just now the wise men and the conjurers who are brought in before me, that they might read this inscription and make its interpretation known to me, but they couldn't declare the interpretation of the message. But I personally have heard about you, and that you were able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems." Now if you are able to read the inscription and make its interpretation known to me, you'll be clothed with purple, wear a necklace of gold around your neck. You'll have authority as third ruler in the kingdom. Woo! Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Keep your gifts for yourself or give your rewards to someone else. However, I will read the inscription to the king and make the interpretation known to him. O king, The Most High God granted sovereignty, grandeur, glory, and majesty to Nebuchadnezzar, your father. So it's it's sermon time uh, for Belshazzar. He's going to get schooled here by Daniel on some history and then on some future. And so in verse 19, he says, Because of the grandeur which he bestowed on him, Nebuchadnezzar, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language feared and trembled before him. Whomever he wished, he killed, Whoever he wished, he spared alive, and whoever he wished, he elevated, and whomever he wished, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up, and his spirit became so proud that he behaved arrogantly, he was deposed from his royal throne, and his glory was taken away from him. He was also driven away from mankind. His heart was made like that of beasts, and his dwelling place was with the wild donkeys." He was given grass to eat like cattle and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he recognized that the Most High God is ruler over the realm of mankind and that he sets over it whomever he wishes. That right there isn't one of the most awesome verses. 21 states again God's sovereignty over everything. But in Rebuke, verse 22, he says, Yet you, his son, which would be a descendant, grandson, his son Belshazzar have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all this, but you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you. You and your nobles, your wives, your concubines have been drinking wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see, hear, or understand, but the God in whose hands are your life breath. And all your ways, you have not glorified. So that, oh, that's that's strong on its on its very own there. But sadly, again, Bel, Belshazzar had never even met Daniel. If he, if Daniel was 16 when he was captured, he'd be about 80 years old at this point. And so, the time for uh, uh, maybe politically correctness. Political correctness was over for Daniel He'd, and he had no respect for Belshazzar that he had had for Nebuchadnezzar he's really uh, disgusted I think by this king and by his arrogance and by his behavior by his acting out in this, in this drunken orgy he states the facts right to his face about the history that he did know, he's, he claims to him that you knew it, you saw all this, you know, Nebuchadnezzar he died maybe 23 years before, but, but Belshazzar had seen it, heard it. He knew the history of it. But here's what he did in, uh, in, in place of that. Uh, his answer was terse and, and to the point. He proceeded to school him on his pride and his ignorance of the history Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was probably the greatest Gentile king that ever existed. I mean, God, even in his prophecy, had declared Nebuchadnezzar to be the head of gold. Uh, You know, all the glory of gold and what that represents. And then talking about Nebuchadnezzar, uh, he was probably the greatest Gentile king there ever was. Um, Everything he ruled... He didn't answer to anyone, and so he had a great history in that regard. He wasn't a good guy for most of his life. <laughs> he was, some, of the, some of the history of that is terrible, of the, the things that he was willing to do to anyone at a whim uh, to torture or to kill. But still declared to be great and still repented and learned that God, the God of heaven was, was ruled over all. And again, uh, Daniel uses verse 21 and 2 to emphasize this arrogance and willful disdain for the God of the Hebrews. He spelled it out to him, uh, but really, we are no better today. Our country is the same. We've substituted evolution for the creator God of the universe. Trying to say, maybe even in a greater insult, at least back in the past, they believed in some kind of God. They looked around and saw. You know, somehow this didn't happen on its own, but we worship this God or this God instead of the true God. In our day, possibly even a greater insult to say, yeah, this isn't that great. It happened by itself. didn't need a God to make this. It, it happened all on its own. And talk about arrogance and foolishness to, to look at our creation, the, everything around us, and just to, to say, no, happened on its own. That is definitely an insult to the Creator God, and, and He will be judging that one of these days. So let's listen to Daniel's interpretation in verse 24. Then the hand was sent from him, and this inscription was written out. This is the inscription that was written out Mini, Mini, Tekel, Ufarsin. Uh, this is the interpretation of the message. Meni, God has numbered your kingdom and put an end to it. Tikal, you have been weighed on the scales and found deficient. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given over to the Medes and Persians. So it's short and to the point, but apparently it was in a in a format or a way that uh, wasn't interpretable to these wise men. Uh, the um, probably in uh, not in Hebrew, but. And it escapes me the other, the language that this chapter 2 to 7 is in uh, Aramaic. Yes, thank you, Mark. So even though this was written in that language, they looked at it and it was still, they drew a blank on it. But Daniel was able to interpret it by God's Spirit and what it said to Belshazzar. And basically, it just said numbered, numbered, weighed, and divided that was the translation. He makes it clear, first of all, that the hand was sent from God, the one true God, the one that Belshazzar had rejected, the one that he had not honored, the one that he had insulted by this party and by what he did there. So his days basically were numbered. In essence, it would say uh, your number is up. And <laughs> to be, to be uh, current with things. Every one of us has a number and every one of us has a day when our number will be up, not necessarily in judgment but an end of this life in this body. Every one of us can count on that unless the Lord comes sooner and we will pass out of this life into death. We'll be separated from this body and go either to be with the Lord if we know Him or directly to Hades awaiting eternal punishment separated from god that's the truth so numbered his days were numbered and in this case that was the day this was his very day his number was up on that day Uh, so this king had a frightening encounter the wise men are called out they fail and finally daniel's called he succeeds but this success for Daniel in interpretation was game over for Belshazzar. And so every one of us again has a number. We can't move it one minute sooner or later than it is. God knows every minute of our lives. He's seen it all into the beginning. And we see this in Isaiah 46, 8 through 13. God says, remember this and be assured Recall it to mind you transgressors remember the former things long past for I am God and there is no other I am God and there was no one like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure calling a bird of prey from the east the man of my purpose from a far country Truly I have spoken, truly I will bring it to pass. I have planned it, surely I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn-minded, and that that would include everybody in the the hearing of God's word. Listen to him, you stubborn-minded, who are far from righteousness. I bring near my righteousness, it is not far off, and my salvation will not delay, and I will grant salvation to Zion and my glory for Israel." We talked a little bit about that this morning in our class, about the distinction there. But still, God is going to carry out his purposes right to the last detail. He says so, and we ignore that to our peril. We need to listen to what he has to say. So this message from God is clear, threatening. Earlier, Nebuchadnezzar had one year to think it over and repent, but not so for Belshazzar. This was his day. He had reached his final day, and it was mentioned twice, numbered, numbered. You're not getting out of it. Today is the day for you, Belshazzar. It talked about weighed. So Belshazzar was weighed. His righteousness was weighed before God, and he came out light. He was quite a lightweight in in terms of God's weight of righteousness. He had none. I've listened to a lot of um, uh, Ray Comfort's boardwalk talks to different people and he's always asking them about whether they think they're a good person and if you think that uh your your goodness is enough to get you through to get you to heaven and a lot of them come up with this idea that i think has been fostered in the world that if your good outweighs your bad yeah you know you're going to be good enough that um you'll make it that god will Oh, yeah yeah, you were pretty bad over here, but you did some good over here, and you know I think you just made it. You just had enough good things to get you through. That's that's a lie from Satan to every person who's thinking that in their mind that somehow they're good enough by enough of their good works to outweigh their bad. I, this is another one that I got a lot of at home as I was growing up. Uh, Isaiah sixty four six says, for all of us have become like one who is unclean. All our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment, and all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. Here's what Spurgeon said about that. He said, Brethren, if our righteousnesses are so bad, what must our unrighteousnesses be? Pretty good comparison, because it says, our righteousness to God, the best we can do, is like filthy rags. And I I won't go into a description of that. It's pretty gross. When he's talking about filthy rags, it's not just, I got a little dirt on this handkerchief. It's nasty. It's something you wouldn't even want to touch. And that's the best we can do. So the worst is enough to take us down, way down, all the way down. So we're like somebody who's covered with leprosy, very contagious. And back in the day, back in Israel's day, it would be, leprosy would say, unclean. You can't even come near anybody. You have to be separated out into a pen out by yourself out there with this disease on you. And you can feel pretty rejected by that, I'm sure. Having to be out there, not only that, I think leprosy is so terrible that it eats your body parts away slowly but surely and separated from everyone else. Pretty horrific. But it's a picture of man and of his sin. I had not everybody is thrilled by chick tracks, and uh, some people think they're just too edgy, too sharp, too mean. I don't know. Maybe they and don't agree with the theology of them sometimes. But I think they get the message across a lot of times. And I, that's a picture of one of them that's talking about the gospel and talking about man and his condition. And that there was a whole tract that, that went through the, the process here. of they, they were in the shower and trying to wash this all off and they couldn't get their, this, this filthiness of sin off of them. And that's, that's how we are before God without Christ. We're not pretty good and just need to clean up a little bit. We are unacceptable to Him in any way, shape, or form. And that's what the verse says. His word says, all our righteousness are like a filthy garment to God. We are so far away from him in our own righteousness that there's never, ever going to be a way for us to get near to God on our own, ever. We can't get there. We have to have the righteousness of Christ, and that's the gospel. He forgives through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the only way we can come. And that's, that's it again. It's it's a, a one-way salvation only through Jesus Christ. He said it himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. We've heard it over and over, but it's the truth. No one comes to the Father but through me. There's no way to get to God except through Christ. Period. End of story. If you are thinking that you're going to get through to God some other way or that the the God that's in charge of everything is some other God besides the one that's in Scripture that says these things going down the wrong path. You're not going to find your way to heaven with God unless you come through Jesus Christ and Him alone. So the last word of the handwriting is <clears throat> Eupharsin. It means divided. And it does. The Babylonian kingdom will be divided that day and given to the Medes and the Persians. And God is amazing in his word and how he brings it and just some of these things in the past historical record that show, I mean, you couldn't hardly make it up to be more uh, dramatic, if you want to say that, to the fact that they were having this party on the very day that they were destroyed. And while they were up there partying, the enemy came under the city and came up and took them over that very day. It's, it's just uh, an amazing event that God brought. <clears throat> what God had revealed to Nebuchadnezzar and to us through that first dream of his is being fulfilled only 65 years later. So we see this large panorama that God's brought to Nebuchadnezzar in that dream of his saying, you're the head of gold, belly or the chest and arms of silver is going to be the next kingdom in line Well, little did Nebuchadnezzar know, and and Belshazzar find out here, kingdom number two came 65 years after that revelation to Nebuchadnezzar. And here it is on this very day. Then we see the transition right here from the head of gold to the chest and arms of silver. What God has spoken, he will perform. Daniel 2.39 said it. This is the interpretation Daniel gave of the dream. After you there will arise another kingdom inferior to you, then another third kingdom of bronze, which will rule over all the earth. So we'll we'll have a look at that uh, next week as we look at chapter 6, the beginning of this next kingdom, and the fact that Daniel is also a part of that. So the judgment from God is executed. These last three verses we look at tonight in chapter 5. Verse 29, Then Belshazzar gave orders, and they clothed Daniel with purple, put a necklace of gold around his neck, and issued a proclamation concerning him that he now had authority as third ruler in the kingdom. That same night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was slain. So Darius the Mede received the kingdom at about the age of 62. Pretty short and to the point, this last part. And you would think, Possibly that the tongue lashing that, that uh, Daniel just gave to Belshazzar in a normal day would probably mean his execution. He, he called him out. He told him that he didn't look at history, that he sinned against God, that he deserved judgment, his kingdom's going to get taken away. You know, you think about that, telling that out to a king to his face. Normally, that would you, that'd be your last day. That would be the last message you gave to that king. But this is different. And for whatever reason, and, and the dynamics of what was going on here took over, and Belshazzar kept his word, even though the message was harsh. And it was his last day. He didn't say last day, but it turned out to be that. But he anyway said, your kingdom is taken away. And so on that very day, it happened. But b- immediately before that, uh, Daniel's raised up to third ruler in the kingdom. He's got a robe. Here he was ignored for, you know, maybe 20 years off in Nothingville, out there, just living again in, in Babylon, apart from his home, 70 some years old. And uh, all of a sudden, God raises him back up and puts him as third ruler in the kingdom, which actually makes him number one. By the next day, Nabonidus already captured, maybe killed. Belshazzar killed, and so who's in charge? Number three. Oh, there he is. So you'd you'd have to think that God and His purposes, and as we see, as we'll see in the chapters coming along, that uh, Daniel didn't get killed when they got took over, when the when the hordes came up through the river, took over Babylon that very day. Daniel maintained a position. Daniel, by God's grace and his favor, continued to serve under the next king. You have to see God's hand at work in that as he brought Daniel along, used him to to minister and to prophesy to us all these amazing things that showed God as in control of every Gentile kingdom And that includes everyone that's in our world today. He's in charge of Iran. He's in charge of Turkey, Russia, the United States. Every country that you can name in this world, God is in charge of that country. He controls who's in charge of it, who rules it, who's taken down from it. He is moving the pieces around as he wants to. He is in charge of those things. So just a couple of things to, to maybe draw out of this chapter 5, a lesson for all Gentile nations, that God is in control even when he seems not to be. Israel was captured, taken, captured, and sent taken to Babylon. You'd think, well, God lost control of that deal. He's His country, his people are Israel, but now Babylonians took them down. They're in captivity, but God is proving through the book of Daniel that he is still in charge. He is still moving in his way, and he is in control of it. His timing is forever versus our tiny little lifespans. We're, we are, you know, alarm bells ringing us, and we're like, oh, oh, we live 80, 90 years, maybe 100 years each at the longest, and sometimes a lot less. God sees everything. He's seen the end of the beginning, and he looks at a few years in our history and a few kingdoms and few petty rulers, you know, trumpeting out their, their talk here and there, and, you know, everybody afraid and afraid of what these world rulers are doing, but God has that in hand. His timing is forever. Ours is short, so short. God watches and records every detail of every life, and when the iniquity is full, he will judge. He had, he had been patient, gracious to Babylon. He had used Babylon, his word says so, to judge Israel for their um, unfaithfulness, for their idolatry, for their sin. But when they overstepped their bounds, God said, okay, enough. I had a purpose. You overran that. So now it's turn for the next kingdom to come along. I'll use the next kingdom. I'll bring them in that it's kind of interesting when you think about Babylon and this big name and what it did to Israel. They were only in existence as a world kingdom for less than 100 years. Less than 100 years. And we think back on them and the Babylonians and the big power that they had. God only brought them on the stage for less than 100 years to fulfill what he wanted with them, and then he moved on. God is not beholden to the world and to its kingdoms here he is in charge of those, and he will continue to be. So do not put your faith and trust in this world or any kingdom of this world. Put it in Christ. He's in, he will rule. Everyone has an appointment with God for their day, for the rest of eternity. I, I'm giving a lot of those coins out still these days. I don't know if you've seen them, the where will you spend eternity coin. And... Um, I think they're good. They give a question to everybody you hand them to. And I gave one to the gal over at the fish truck the other day. And I handed it to her. and I said, here, I'll trade you. And she said, what's that? She was very receptive. And I said, oh, it's a challenge coin. She says, oh, well, what is it? And I said, well, it's a question. I said, where will you spend eternity? It tells you on the back. Everybody's going to spend eternity somewhere. So think about that. And so that's the truth. Everybody spends somewhere in eternity, one place or the other, and they're not both good. There's one good and there's one eternal hell separated from God, and you don't want to go there. So everyone has an appointment, one way or the other. He's faithful to those who are chosen and who are faithful to him by his grace. Daniel was in Babylon because of God's judgment on Israel's unfaithfulness, but yet he had still blessed Daniel. He was with him. He didn't reject his chosen. In Babylon, he will do the same for us. If we belong to Christ, it's because we are chosen by him. He's brought us in. He has a purpose for us, and he will carry us through whatever that is, whatever happens today, tomorrow, in this community, in this country of ours, in this world. We belong to him, and he will be faithful to us. So I would just say, let's purpose in our hearts to be faithful to him and to be courageous to fulfill our mission in this generation. That's why we're here. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. So wonderful, so pointed, uh, so much detail about who you are, God, uh, what your purposes are, what your methods are, um, what your heart is like. Please uh, help us to understand you more by your word, not by our intuition, not by our reasonings, but by what you tell us about yourself in your word. That's who you are. That's who you've claimed to be. That's who you've proven yourself to be. And you've told us that Jesus Christ is our only way and our only hope. That is who we proclaim. Lord, we proclaim you. We wait for you. We praise you because of who you are, because of the great grace that you have shown to each one of us that know you, Know your forgiveness. Know our future is solid in you. How we praise you tonight for that, Lord, and look forward to seeing you someday. Whenever that is, whatever that day of appointment is for us, however it comes, we look forward to it through you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Thank you, Jesus, we pray in your name.